seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have me, Sacred Stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... Welcome, friends, to episode 113 of Color of Magic, your magic and gaming podcast where we talk about all types of issues that affect players at and away from the computers and gaming tables. I am your host, Daquan Watson, and still, amazingly, for 113 episodes, I still have my trusty sidekick. Might be because I pay him. I don't know, but he's still willing (laughs) to hang out with me. Brian Allen, how's it going, dude? Pretty good, and hey, I was here for a long time before I got paid. That's but true. No, before we had any money to pay you, that's because when we first started this, we we didn't know. You, you just didn't know if you would ever make a dime. That's absolutely true. Absolutely, it's not, it's not we're making a lot, but hey, at least I can can help you cover a light bill or something. But yeah, as, as again, being an actor, I've been a part of a lot of shows where when we started, we are not sure how this is going to, I mean, that's the majority of shows. Every show ain't going to be Cats, you know, or Hamilton. Dude, I feel you. Like the the one time we scripted and put together uh, a couple of weekends worth of murder mystery shows, like that was like, hey, it started out as just like an idea. I made a deal with the place so we could use their venue and like we were like, okay, we have to hope we sell enough tickets we can pay for all this at the end of everything, you know. But it worked out. We we all pocketed not a lot. I think we all pocketed like maybe a hundred bucks or something at the end of the weekend. But the venue made money. They sold food. Yep. People liked it. It was cool. But yeah, I feel you. Like you sometimes you're just scrapping by. But and I that, I will that's say what's crazy is you know you y'all were just some y'all were doing kind of almost in your spare time and then you have actual Broadway shows that are kind of on the same thing like we don't know if we're gonna make money on this we're gonna try it but you know what to some level it does put you in that scrappy mindset yep of just like okay how do we promote this how do we get costumes what sponsors do we get to pay for it like. Everybody starts hustling, and then before you know it, you're like, hey, we pulled this together. Like, And then the next time, it gets a little easier because now people trust in what you're doing, and you have a proof of concept. But right. that first one's hard, man. It's tough. Even Obama said the first time Lin-Manuel Man- Lin-Manuel Miranda came to the White House, hey, I got this hip-hop musical based on Alexander Hamilton. He looks at Michelle like, okay. He kind of rolls out like, that's going to be great. You know? <laughs> Shoot, and that ended up being the hottest thing for like three years. <laughs> right? Because you say it out loud, it does sound insane. Yep. But it sometimes it takes something totally different and somebody is totally motivated to keep it going. Speaking of which, if you want to keep us motivated, <laughs> nice segue. Head over to patreon.com slash color of magic where you can keep supporting our scrappy efforts on this show. And 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 I gotta give a shout out this week. To our patron, David Ray, who's been supporting us since August 2020. So one of not quite an OG, but pretty close. Yeah. You know, so appreciate that from David. We really, really do. And actually, if it's the David Ray I'm thinking of, it's a cool dude. Uh works over at Card Kingdom. And really, to be honest, dude works his butt off. Like, be honest. One of one of the best co-workers I had there. Like, dude was fantastic. If it's not that David Ray, well, you're probably still cool. I just don't know all the reasons that you're cool. But, you know, we still love your support just the same. And because we crossed the beginning of the month, we do have two giveaway winners. So Elena L. and Alexander Wilder, y'all can be expecting something in the mail in the next, like, seven to ten days, assuming holiday shipping doesn't back it up. 
So keep an eye on the mailbox. There's some stuff coming for you. Also, want to give some love to the people over at Cardsphere.com. Just because they're great people, man. Like, they support so many people in the Magic community. Especially, and I will say this, the, if no other reason to support them, that they support small creators. Right. I mean, we might be one of the biggest accounts that they support. That's not true. They may be one or two bigger. But generally, they're supporting a lot of the smaller up-and-coming creators. And that's really awesome because a lot of companies or brands will mostly just reach out and support the ones that they know are already big, right? I'm going to give this person whatever much a month, and I'm going to get this big return because they have all these followers, viewers, listeners, whatever. They're kind of here in the beginning as you're growing and helping some of these people, and they're doing a lot, which really helps enrich the magic community, right? People can take more of a chance doing these smaller projects, these different small podcasts that you aren't necessarily sure people are going to be into or not. So yeah, give them some love. For now. And their service is actually solid. I mean, I use it regularly. So I mean, you know, I, I'm i I'm not only a sponsor, I'm also a client or whatever. However those old commercials used to go yeah. with like the, the hair club for men or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, check them out over at cardsphere.com. And then finally, if you want to get something for yourself and still support the show, check out colorofmtg.com slash shop where you can get some tokens or play mats with our likeness and support the show as you start going back to your local venues. All right. With those bills out of the way, you know what time it is. Time for some soapbox action. And man, this one, this one feels perpetual. But I just feel like it's not one of those ones I really kind of ran it on that I feel like we should have a while ago. But maybe it came up because alchemy has been a thing. And we'll talk about that later in the show. But why do so many gamers, or hell, I would say even just people, feel the need to hate on other people's fun? Like if what you're doing does not harm anybody else, and in a lot of cases, doesn't interfere with somebody else's entertainment. Who cares? Like, to see somebody be like, there's an infinite number of match three games out in the world, right? Candy Crush and all that stuff. They make plenty of money. There's plenty of people who enjoy them. So why hate, like, I literally will see somebody on, on social media be like, I don't know why y'all waste your time with those games or whatever. I'm like, who cares? Like, they're not gaming with you, and they're doing it in their downtime and enjoying it. it. Why? Why hate on it? I mean, I've said it before. I don't play League of Legends anymore. I don't play first-person shooters. But I'm not going to sit here and berate everybody who chooses to play them and enjoy them. Like, if you're having a good time, have a good time gaming. If you decide you only like playing booster drafts, great. That doesn't stop me from playing Standard or Legacy or whatever. I can still do my thing. You do your thing. Hell, if nothing else, we're still both supporting the same game, even. Or in my case, I play Team Fight Tactics. Great. If League of Legends makes a bunch of money, there's probably more money for Team Fight Tactics development, right? right? So I ain't going to hate on you. You just go do your thing. It's just weird. I'd be like, man, Sudoku puzzles are stupid. Like, who cares? Like, let people do their puzzles. Like, who cares? Like, I just don't get it. And I know you see it, you know, being even heavier in the video game stuff. But, like, gosh damn, why, people? 
Yeah, people be on these consoles like they work for Xbox, Microsoft, or Nintendo. It just blows my mind. Oh, you ain't lying. I've seen that a lot. Where it's like, uh, why are you like Xbox? Blah. Like everybody's on PlayStation. You should be over there. Hell, I saw that happen with the damn vaccines. There were people on social media like Pfizer gang, yo, whatever. I'm like, really? Is this what we're doing now? Like, I- I'm glad that they got their vaccines. But yeah. yeah, and I'm like. We we got to be that way with everything, like like when I saw that on the vaccines, I about lost my damn mind. I'm like, really, this is where we are. Like, if you if you got J and J or Moderna, you're like second class. You got to be getting <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Pfizer, yo. Like like what? Like people, come on. None of this makes any sense. Like I get it, the whole thing of like we have class warfare and they're trying to pit this group against this group but that's so far beyond like come on and i'm with you like we don't work for any of these companies hell you and i technically are mortal enemies because you're a saints fan and i'm a cowboys fan right but that doesn't mean we can't hang out and have fun and watch a football game i don't work for jerry jones right i'll work for the benson family exactly <laughs> like we ain't got no reason to hate each other Hell, those two groups don't even hate each other. They hang out in press boxes and go on trips together. So that's what's crazy. It's like outside of you know Louisiana and Texas, nobody cares. Not when you say Louisiana. I don't think your average Dallas Cowboy fan in Dallas considers the Saints to be any kind of any of their rivals. No, they it's don't. Just like in Shreveport, I think, or, or but around it's... the North Louisiana area, because there are a lot of Saints fans and a lot of Cowboy fans in that area. It's just so wild to watch, though. Like even even in sports, anybody outside of yeah, because I I man, I tell people all the time I have nothing but love for Cleveland fans, because one Cleveland fans will go from a baseball game it'll get done and they will go over to the hockey game, <laughs> and then come Monday they're cheering for the Browns. You know what I mean? Like they are all in, even when their teams suck. You know they are all in. I'm like for real, nothing but love for you. I don't have to be a fan to appreciate your fandom. For your team, right? I don't now I get it. If we want to talk about the Washington football team, the organization has some pretty effed up stuff that's been happening. So yeah. that's a different situation. If you want to talk about like, hey, this team really has some effed up things going on, okay, great. We can pick sides and have that conversation. But for anything else, why do we care? Right? We're all if enjoying the same thing. Fan and you hate the Ravens. Yeah, I kind of get it. Fair. <laughs> but yeah, we're we're all just having a good time. We're all gaming. A lot of times, even playing the same games or the same type of games or games owned by the same companies, but you're hating on somebody else for just enjoying it differently. Hell, there's people that play Madden. Like, I don't know why you play Madden Ultimate Team. and about, Like, that Ultimate Team makes all the money so you can play all the other modes right. of Madden you get to play. You know, but people are like, I'm not spending money. I'm like, okay, great. You don't have to. The same people on Arena. Like, I have people that will literally... I have a thing in, in, in my streams where you can spend the the channel points on just to ask me a personal question or whatever right just to get to know the streamer a little better and i can't count the number of times people ask like how much money have you spent on arena and i'm like that's your question like that's what you really want to know like that's what matters to you like what does that have to do with anything whether i spent zero or i spent five thousand dollars like it doesn't affect how you game at all but it's it's so sad that that is the question that people are concerned about. And it's not even like I spent that much money on it, honestly. But 
it's just sad that that's some like it bothers people so much that that's a popular question to ask. It's crazy that you, somebody who makes a living streaming and podcasting about magic, might spend money on magic. How silly is that? Oh, I know. That's the weird that, part to me. Like, that'd be like going up to somebody, you know, who's a baker. How much money have you spent on flour this year? A lot, I'm going to guess. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. It's just weird. that, Like, why do we care? Seriously. Like, just let people enjoy their games how they enjoy their games. As long as they're not doing anything that's, I don't know, morally or ethically screwed up in some way, let them enjoy it. Let them enjoy their things. There's no, it has, especially if it has, honest to God, very little or nothing to do with you. Let them enjoy it. Let people be in happy. In most cases, it absolutely has nothing to do with you, other people's enjoyment. And the truth is, if you relieve yourself of that concern, you will be so much of a happier person. There's no reason to have that stress on your back. Just let it go. All right. I'm all done. <laughs> that was a long one. I'm sorry. <laughs> what you got, Brian? Well, uh, Tanya DePass, better known as Cypher of Tear on uh, various social media and gaming, apparently did uh, some consulting work for, for Wizards of the Coast on a Dungeons & Dragons project, a Strixhaven book, apparently, and some sort of way they forgot to credit her for her work. And it gets better. She was apparently the cultural and sensitivity consultant. <laughs> they forgot to mention. You think with everything that has gone on over the past year and some change at Wizards, they one of the first things they want to mention is, "Hey, we had a person of color look at this product and make sure we didn't say or do anything incredibly racist this time." But now they just forgot to mention that at all. Yeah, I mean the only the only thing I will say. To their behalf, and I, I didn't look at the list, so I don't even know. It might have been where somebody just went, All right, our previous team worked on this book, all the same team worked on this book, and then they didn't bother to put the other names in there, which still isn't a good enough reason. I'm just saying, it's, it's probably the only thing I could think of as to why that happened. Yeah, as, as I saw somebody say on Twitter, if I gave you a list of 10, 10 people that worked on this project and asked you, which one got left off? I'll bet you could guess cultural insensitivity consultant the way things have been going over there. Yeah. And this, just, this keeps happening and it can't keep happening. That's true. It shouldn't be happening. Like, it's one of those things where I like can say, like, I almost kind of get how it happened. However, with all the things that have happened in the last year, that probably shouldn't happen. <laughs> you know it what I mean? Was it a couple, couple of months ago? Uh, <laughs> Ellie of the Veil wrote an article and they gave yeah, a got, got accredited to the wrong person. For it. <laughs> just, it, it, if it happens once, okay, yeah, we'll catch you some slack. It's an accident. If it happens on an almost monthly basis, it is indicative of a problem. Oh, yeah. like and And I feel that way with several things right now. I think it's like... I get that we're we're still in the pandemic and companies are still scrapping and hell, probably even leading up to the holidays. You're trying to get a whole bunch of crap done and get stuff printed and whatever. But seeing how big of an impact that's been over the last year, especially, you probably want to dedicate somebody to that. <laughs> right? Just, hey, let's run through checks one more time just to make sure. 
because this seems pretty important. So, like, I, I don't know. Now, I will say they've already, I guess, with D&D Beyond, they've already updated all the digital versions. They've said the next printing will have all the corrections. You know, they sent, I guess they had some type of private conversation about it. So I don't know what details were said or discussed, but they both mentioned there were private conversations. They publicly apologize. Cypher a tear says, okay, we're good. But still, you know, like whatever they did, I guess they worked it out, but I'm with you. Like, it's one of those things that after the, like, I get it again. Like I'm saying things happen, whatever, but after the events of the last two years or whatever, we know how important this is now, right? Like we've seen enough instances with wizards and others where it's been a problem. You probably want to start paying more attention to that at some point. You'd you'd think they would be doing press releases, blogs, hey, we know we have made mistakes. Here's how we worked on it this time. And at that point, if you do that and you hadn't, and you maybe you go look at the credits. Oh, wait, she's not in there quickly. Somebody fix that. Now, there are two other things I will say that kind of comes to mind with all this is one. You do have somebody who's appointed now to deal with cultural stuff, whatever. You know, we we saw that lady get prom- or actually get hired, not even promoted uh, early this year. So I don't know how that affects her or who she's yelling at or I don't know. Does she mad because she have selected the cultural person or like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm kind of curious how that plays into everything because I would assume she's not going to be happy about it as that's her gig. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, that's got to not sit well. And then I wonder like, were there others that maybe we haven't heard about yet because maybe they're just not big on socials or whatever that were also consultants for other things because we did have an Asian character, you know, that was the focus of the black white guild, I think in there, the silver quill and some of the stuff there was not that well accepted among several, at least from what I saw of members of the Asian magic community. But was that because they didn't have a consultant or because they did? And maybe the consultant's perspective or thing just didn't sit well with people. Like, it kind of opens up other questions that I don't know the answers to. And I'm kind of curious yeah. now, you know, on, on top of all that. Cause you, you may have worked on projects like this to quad where they brought you in, you know, to consult, but you can tell like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. They don't actually want to listen to anything you had to say. They just wanted to make sure a box was checked. That, that I'm sure that's happened before. Yeah. Just to say like, Hey, we at least asked a black guy, yep. <laughs> like, you know, that- we didn't listen to him, but we asked <laughs> Yeah, so that's a, that's a little bit of a weird one. I will say this, though. Like, I don't even know. Like, I set in on some playtest stuff for a couple of things at Wizards, and I haven't even checked to see if my name was even included in stuff back then. Like, to this day, I have a copy of the game, I think, of one of them sitting in my game room, and I haven't even opened it up to look at the, the rule book to see. So, in, I don't know. In fairness to Cole, you have about a billion projects happening, so I get it. That's fair. That's totally fair. But yeah, it's still an interesting topic, though. You know, uh, I will say I'm glad it at least got resolved what seems like within just a few hours of them working everything out, but still shouldn't have happened in the first place. So one of those things that at this point, there, there should be some type of checks there for that. If you're going to and, and and to be fair, I don't even care if it's a cultural sensitivity person or whatever. Right. Like 
if you're going to bring a guest in to consult on a thing, whatever it is, right. you probably want to give the guest credit. Because I'm sure she got paid and everything else to be yeah. involved. Like, you probably want to give them credit for being there. Everybody that did work on this, you want to you want to give them a chance, you know, just to... That, that's what credits are for. You yeah. Know, to, to mention everybody that worked on this project and to, you know, just let people know, hey, this is who did X, Y thing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't even care what she did. Like, if you're going to pay her to come in and consult to make your products better, then you probably want to make sure their name's included. That's that's the weird part to me. It's just like, why else bother to go through all that effort? <laughs> like, they were important enough to be involved. Even for your own product, you should want to say, hey, this person that we deem to be a high person in this category was a consultant here and helped us make this better. To kind of give your own product the cachet of saying like, hey, no, we had these other people help us and work on it. Like, it's legit. You know what I mean? Like, it's a check mark for you to include them. To be clear, neither of us is saying this was intentional. As a matter of fact, we both believe just the opposite, that this was just an, an accidental omission. But still, it's a thing that can't keep happening. Well, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, even, even it doesn't even feel intentional because they lost out on a marketing opportunity. Yeah. Right. Because Cypher could have been like, hey, this product I worked on, look, I'm in the credits, blah, blah. And then a bunch of her fans go and pick up the book or are interested or whatever and asking what it is. And, you know, because Cypher's got a pretty big following. Right. Speaking of people that are crushing it, she, she is everywhere. She yeah. So part I mean, of the uh, ha Halo launch today. Oh, so that's true. I mean, she's all over the yep. timeline. And that that's the thing. That's why I don't think it was purposeful because like, you, you, yeah, it'd be crazy if it was on purpose. Yeah, you literally missed a positive big PR chance with a huge content creator. And no good reason. You know, after paying them to come do the work. Yeah. That's the other thing. It's just like, yeah, they just got to be better. Well, all right, Brian. You know the drill. It's that time of the mm -hmm. week where we learned some interesting things and we want to share it with our community. So what did you learn this week? All right. Uh, live in front of a studio audience did happen last Oh, yeah. Night. Yeah. There was the reenactment of uh, different strokes and facts of life. And seems the best part of the thing was actually they did retro commercials in the style of, you know, 1980s commercials. Like they did, a, they did one about... They did, Kind of making fun of this is your brain on drugs. There was one where uh Kool-Aid man got therapy from Bob Vila so he could stop putting circular holes in people's walls. That one was great. See, like if I'd have known that was a thing, I would have tuned in just for that. And I would have recorded I would have DVR'd it at online. least. Yeah, but I mean I would at least DVR'd it to go back yeah. there and watch the commercials. That sounds awesome. Oh, did they have what's his name with the with the the Ronco, like, set it and forget it. <laughs> the food I, thing. I, I don't think uh, Ron Popeil was on there, but I may not have seen all of them. Uh, I was just trying to think of other commercials I'd seen at that time. The Micro Machine Man would have been a good one. They had, uh, mm -hmm. there There was a Heinz 57, you know, where they show oh, the ketchup yeah. slowly poured. Yeah. Alfonso Ribeiro and Jennifer Beals were, were great on that. They were doing a kind of a takeoff on soap operas where I had to tell you something, you know. 
I'm an alien. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I married your twin. And at one point, Alfonso was like, I am my twin. <laughs> <laughs> See, like, that's that that stuff is that, that, to me, says, like, whoever was involved, like, they understood the assignment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, let's let's go to a full retro on this and really play yeah. it up. The episodes themselves were, I mean, they used adults. It was kind of weird. Kevin Hart didn't even shave his beard. So they just kind of went full on absurd with Kevin Hart playing Arnold Drummond. Did they do, did they each do like, was it just back-to-back 30-minute episodes? Yeah. Okay. Although, again, as, as we said, John Lithgow was incredible. At one point, he even... Because in the original episode, Mr. Drummond picks Arnold up and sits him on his lap. And they did that whole spiel with John Lithgow and Kevin Hart. Oh, man. <laughs> and it was, you know, I mean, they both committed to the bit, you know. <laughs> so it was, I can't say it wasn't funny. It isn't the way I'd have done it, but I can't say that. There's also a Snoop Dogg was on there. It's a, uh, it's a special guest playing one of Willis's friends. And at the end, I don't know if this is in the script or well, no, in the original script, but Kevin Hart asks, why does uh why does your friend Vernon always smell like weed? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's too funny. They definitely had fun with the special guests. See, and that that to me makes it okay, right? That you're saying, okay, we we know this isn't gonna be the same. We're just trying to hit the nostalgic lane and then put some good jokes in here. And that I can live with. Like so. And also Norman Lear said, you know, he has done all in the family and uh good times. They really wanted to do some of his sitcoms that weren't so hard hitting because I guess if you know just we've all <laughs> there's I guess there's enough terrible stuff in the news we're gonna do some of the lighter episodes. They didn't do any of different strokes, multiple very special episodes, thank God. Yeah, because some of those didn't age well, like the one where uh, Mr. Carlson from WKRP is a child molester. Like, oh, that would just—I'm 47 years old. That was still gives me all the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, you don't want that. No, but yeah, that's cool, man. Sounds like that was actually a lot of fun. Uh, for me, what I learned, and this is something that I feel like I knew but didn't really like process is that the average person really has no idea how long content production takes or really what goes into it or how it works. And I realized this talking to some people where they're like, oh, well, there's this error in a video you had. Like, you should just do this thing and fix it. And I'm like, well, it, it's not, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> like, I literally would have to go back through the whole video. I have to see the timestamp and go change it have to make sure everything still lines up and the music isn't weird or wherever I put overlays or something still makes sense. Then I have to render it. And that's going to take, depending on how long the video, anytime between like 10 and 20 minutes. And then I have to go load that to YouTube. And then I actually have to take down or at least privatize the old video. So now I don't get the momentum benefit of the old one because you can't just change a video. You have to make a whole new post. And and I'm like explaining this whole process and they're like, oh, and I was like, yeah. So like it's an hour and a half ish of extra work potentially for what's really like a 15 second or less mistake, sometimes a five second thing. And it's like, so when you see errors, (laughs) yeah, so when you see errors, people just go like, it's not even worth it. I'll just leave it. You know, it's fine. But I think people just go like, oh, you should do a video about this or you should just do this. And it's like, well, that's going to like be at least a 20 minute video. 
Like I can tell you the other day, I did the 22 things uh, to, to quality of life fixes for Magic Arena. Ended up being a 22 minute video. That video took me longer to edit than my normal daily gameplay videos that are 45 to 50 minutes. Because I had to include overlays with like the name, you know, I numbered them all and then I put on screen what we're talking about. And some of them I showed examples. So I had to have those worked in the video or whatever. I spent an easily an hour and a half longer making that video almost two hours longer than I did making one of my daily videos. So like just because the topic seems simple doesn't mean the video necessarily is because you also have to try to make the thing you're like the content has to be good, but you also have to make it interesting. Right. Right. So it's like, while I'm showing saying like, well, one of the things we should have an arena is the ability to favorite our basic lands. So we don't have to flip through six, seven pages of basics to find like my one Godzilla mountain I want to use or whatever. <laughs> so on screen, I have to go in. I, I went and loaded arena recorded myself flipping through like the seven or eight pages, whatever it was of mountains. Then went and downloaded the video, put it on the thing so I could put it into DaVinci Resolve and then line it up so it fits into the footage, right? Just so I just so I could make that point in a like 45 second chunk of the video, right? But you want it to be more interesting and you want to show the proof of what you're talking about, right? But when you have to do that, I didn't do that for every single, all 22 of them, but I did it for like, you know, nine or 10 of them to go find clips or something or whatever that makes sense. So, you know, I think that's the thing. Like, the you can't really tell how long it takes to put together a topic. Like, sometimes we don't even know as creators. We have an idea. Like, I'm sure, especially with all the different family videos y'all do, like, you come up with an idea, and then you realize, man, we've been filming for, like, four hours to get footage yeah. for this, like, 12-minute video. <laughs> But you realize, oh, wait, we need this shot of this. Or, hey, can you go stand in front of this thing? Or, wait, let's go get a shot of this outside so we can see, like, the sunset or whatever, right? There's all these different things that, to make the video better, you have to do all these. And there's some, like, you know, like we're saying, if you're trying to capture the sunset, you can't just make a sunset. So you can't even put the video up till tomorrow because you got to wait <laughs> to get that clip so you can edit it or whatever. So, yeah, there's a lot that goes into content creation. It's a lot harder than a lot of people think. And it was just interesting to me to see that I get that people haven't ever edited videos or anything else. I just think the whole concept of how some videos come together is just very evasive to people. And I think it's because, you know, you can go on YouTube and you can watch infinite amounts of videos. So it just seems like it's easy and everybody's got them yeah. out there. And, you know, but. Yeah, let me tell you, to put up videos every single day and sometimes multiples a day, it's a lot of work. <laughs> I'm putting in close to full-time hours, let me tell you, just on videos, not counting stuff away from the video, editing and recording. But all right, now it's time to get into the nitty-gritty because uh, we have some topics to talk about. The first is that MTG Alchemy for Magic Arena, or maybe we should say Magic Arena Alchemy. I don't know how we're going to talk mm -hmm. about this yet in the future. It's not really been decided, I don't think. But the product is called Alchemy. Uh, this got announced almost right after we were done recording last week, I think. Yeah, thanks for the timing on that, Wizard. Yeah, it was it was literally, I'm like, people already asked me, like, are y'all going to talk about Alchemy on the show? I'm like, what the hell is an Alchemy? You know, so I had to go look stuff up. But what Alchemy is, is it's going to be well, I was going to say a digital only set, but it's basically a subset that will be coming out for every set 
that's only going to live on Arena. Largely because a large percentage of the cards do things that only really make sense in Arena. You know, some are creating things, some are adding abilities to things, like things that just wouldn't make sense in paper. So I kind of get it from that standpoint. They're like, you just want it to be something different. But their idea, at least the way it was pitched, I have no idea anything else. I'm just going to present things as they were presented. I'm not going to speculate here. I have other videos for that. <laughs> but as it was presented, basically they're saying, look, we know that sometimes a format can become stale fairly quickly. You know, not anybody's fault, just a bunch of people playing a bunch of games. Sometimes you end up playing against the same three or four decks a lot. They want to try to avoid that. So the solution is one month after a set comes out, you will get an alchemy set. Now, this first one, I believe, is 62 cards, I think was the count yesterday. Future sets, they said, will be about 30 cards. Mostly rares. I think in this set, 11 or 12 are uncommon. The rest are rares and mythics. And you will just buy boosters like normal. And they'll have commons and uncommons from whatever the latest set is. So on Thursday, which I guess when you're listening to the show, you'll be able to buy alchemy boosters for Innistrad. And I think they're going to be called Innistrad Alchemy. The next set will be Kamigawa Alchemy or whatever. And there'll be packs just like normal packs. You'll get rares at the same rates, mythics at the same rate. Just your commons and uncommons where it makes sense will be filled in with stuff from... Uh, Crimson Vow, which is pretty cool. I mean, I, I like the idea of it. And they put out a bunch of other information like, hey, if with those sets, it does mean they may also take the opportunity to rebalance any other existing standard cards. So if they see stuff not being used the way it should or the way they were anticipating or that's damaging the format or could potentially help a format or whatever, they will take the opportunity to do that. They did show some of the cards already that they were talking about uh, making changes to, like Auron's Epiphany, where they made the flashback, or not flashback, the foretell cost, cost one more, and then it only makes the birds if it's played from foretell. So if you cast from hand, you don't get the birds and the extra turn. So you have to foretell it, and it costs seven now to cast from foretell instead of six. So that's actually a pretty big deal. Right, That slows it down, and it means if the opponent's in a situation where they draw it and they could use it to buy a turn or wherever they don't, they get the free turn, but they don't get the birds. So that's actually an interesting one. Now, will it change anything? I don't know. We'll see. But it does mean that they can always come back and change those knobs and levers however they want to. However, there's other cards, like uh, I believe it's the Elixir. I can't remember. The four-mana artifact from, from Kaldheim, where uh, at the end of every turn... You gain two life, and then if you're above your starting life total, you get to draw a card. Well, they change it now to where you gain two life and you scry. So now it's like, okay, so that's a card that didn't get nerfed. It got buffed. So it got an extra ability to say like, hey, maybe more people will play this card, and it solves a few problems if we add a scry to it every turn. Like now how many people are interested in playing it? Right, so I'm I'm kind of with that because it adds more value to, especially to some of the rares and mythics you get that end up not ever being played. It's kind of cool now that they can go back and say, "Hey, you know, we're really hoping, or maybe it's like we thought this was too good, so we had to nerf it. Turns out we could put it back to the other version and it'd be fine, or whatever." Right? There's things they could do like that that you can't do in paper, obviously, because once something's printed, it's printed. 
So th- this is all pretty interesting stuff. It's kind of uncharted territory. Now, they did say if you own one of the cards and it gets rebalanced or whatever, you will automatically get the new copy as well in your collection. So if you want to play standard without them, you can do that. If you want to play alchemy standard, you can do that. Right now, my understanding is there is not a separate historic format. They will just all exist in that historic format. Though there's been a lot of people arguing, petitioning, or whatever you want to call it, to get them separated, so I would not be surprised if we see that soon as well. But yeah, it's a crazy project, man. There's a there's a lot going on with it. Um, I don't know how it's going to affect each format. I will tell you, even for content, I don't know how it's going to affect things yet. Like, I don't know if there should I keep doing regular standard. Like, I'm going to do alchemy for the first few days because I think people are just interested in seeing it because it's new and different, and you know they want to know what's going on. But after that, I don't know. I don't know if like standard stays popular or alchemy standards popular or standards the most popular for the first month and then alchemy stuff comes out and that's a thing. So even as a creator, there's a lot to figure out, but it's at least something interesting to tackle. So I don't have a problem with that. But, you know, after that, a long explanation of what it is and everything like what's your stance on it? Because I know you, you know, you still very casually engage with stuff on arena. Like, how is this going to affect you? I think this is a good move. I think this is one of the reasons you have a digital card game instead of a paper card game is, hey, if something's problematic, let's go let's go change that immediately as opposed to waiting, you know, for two or three months and letting people hate the format. And if you want, and if you don't care about it and want to continue playing standard, that's absolutely an option for you. Yeah, I think that's sort of where I'm at right now. My Now, I will say, the the... The one thing that really does bother me, and it's kind of why I made that video of like 22 fixes in 22 minutes or whatever, is that there are a lot of other things I would have liked to see fixed first before going down this road. And I think from a community aspect, if we fixed a lot of those other things and people were just generally happier or felt better about Arena, they'd be less resistant to something like this. Because, I mean... To be honest, we have some other bugs and things in Arena right now, and this is introducing a whole new weird way things work and everything mm-hmm. else. Who knows what the hell is going to happen when these go live on Thursday? <laughs> I mean, honestly. Well, that, that is true. I ain't got any clue. So, like, that's a little concerning. And then my other thing is just one of the benefits Magic has always had over every other card game, whether it's paper, digital, whatever, is that they've basically built up 20, what, 27 years, 28 years of marketing that they still get to benefit from. And the further you separate your digital product from your paper product, you lose some benefits of those efforts in that marketing. Now, do you really though? Cause it's, is anybody going to be like, Oh wait, I don't know what this is now. <laughs> this is I, so I don't think it's that, but one of the things, you know, talking to other retailers that we had is there were people who would come from uh, backing up several years to duels of the planeswalkers when that was on Xbox and stuff. Right. Those people physically came into stores and they were familiar with all the cards and they knew what was going on. And there was a lot of sales that happened because people had their favorite cards from online. And, you know, and I saw that, you know, so I can I can speak firsthand that that's a real thing. I that's what where I got in. So, yeah, it can confirm. It's a real but thing. if your favorite cards don't exist in paper. It's like then because there's literally cards that aren't even going to have a regular counterpart. Like there's some like Ishkana and the Gitrog monster and some other stuff that they made versions for current Innistrad 
that don't even have an altered paper version. So like if you like a deck or a thing, you may not be able to even make it in paper. Like so that's a whole different thing. So like and th- that was true it, with duels of the plates walkers and I I'm still here. Not only am I here, I ended up <laughs> making part of my living from doing it. So no, no, I, I understand. I'm saying there will still be some number of players I think that will still migrate. Like just over time, because we're humans, it's just like, ah, there's a paper tournament going on or my local store is doing a championship or whatever. Like some number of people will still go do the thing. Like I can't imagine that, you know, that percentage goes vastly down. But it is something that over time, you know, I'd be interested to see what the impact's going to be because you don't really know. But you lose your opportunity because, you know, I think we were on a path where you could start marketing a lot of stuff back and forth between arena and paper pretty well, especially with standard. But that may not be a thing anymore. You know, I mean, standard, I think, will still be the most popular format. Uh, I think standards only only been popular. Well, in paper, because you've been able to use it to promote events, right? Like you had to play PTQs or whatever, and people would play standard. But if it wasn't for those reasons, people generally would play Modern Legacy Commander, right? If they're playing constructed formats. You don't have that on Arena because you have Historic, which Historic is just a jumble of cards at this point. Like, I mean, it's the most recent, whatever, like 12 sets or whatever, plus all the Historic Anthology stuff, plus random insert cards. You know, like now there's going to be the other alchemy things like... So you can't replicate historic in any manner, really, in, in paper and have it make sense. But standard, I think, is still going to be better for the brand new player. So but, that's not going to change. But the question is, are they playing standard or are they playing whatever we're going to refer to alchemy standard? You know what I'm saying? Well, like, I guess it'll depend on, you know, what kind of deck they build and whether the deck works better in alchemy or standard. Or yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I have no idea. So it's it's going to be interesting. It'd be interesting. I don't... I don't think it's bad necessarily, though. Like One of the main reasons I occasionally dive into Historic is if I have a pet deck that stopped working, but I really enjoy it, so I'm going to go ahead and dip my toe into this pool of Historic and you know you deal with broken combos and getting kicked in the face because there's one or two cards I don't want to give up. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, yeah, like I said, I like my first thought was, did we really need this? And the more I thought about it, it's like, I'm kind of fine with it existing, but just did we need it right now? You know, I feel like there's other, and that's kind of where my stance ended up being. Like, hey, there's all these things we could still do to make Arena better, still a bunch of other things we could do to make a bunch more money and make the players happier, whatever. Like, was this the step we needed to take? That said, you know, let's say we get two months, three months down the road and everybody's still really happy with standard and the updates are normal and they're, they're making formats better and they're making more money Then Hey, you know, it was the right decision, but it's definitely one. I think we have to see play out first. I think is the thing. Plus, I mean, the, the way we have engaged with magic because of arena has changed so much. Sure. Right? When, there, when there was only paper, even to like go back to the call blade era. Yes, it was degenerate, but if you only saw that, at your local Friday Night Magic, but you you didn't even get to realize, you, you might have hated it, but it's not the same as going and playing whatever the latest broken deck is 10 times in a two or three hours span. At that point, yeah, you it, 
it takes away from your joy and maybe you don't want to play the game anymore. Definitely. And that's so what I'm saying. We can do it to avoid getting to that point. I'm for it. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, even if it changes some of those interactions, like if it's all for the positive and people are just happier or I don't know, more, I don't theme decks or whatever have m- at least a better percentage chance or something. then like, that's a positive, right? People can use more of their cards and, and they're beneficial. So yeah, it, it's a, it's a whole new world. I mean, it's one of those things where you can't give a definitive answer or response to a lot of things because we just don't know. Or like, we've just not been down this road. So it'd be interesting to see what we do, what cards get introduced, how we fix things, how long cards stay a certain way before they decide to rebalance them. You know, if if there's a complaint, really, is that I genuinely feel like, in general, if a card gets changed for any reason, and I think I brought this up in, in my video, is that if a card gets changed, whether we're talking about banned, suspended, nerfed, buffed, whatever, we should give wild card replacements. That's literally the only real request I have from the beginning. And, and I think most people would agree with that. Now, I will say, it's cool that if something gets changed, they're giving you a free version. That's nice. The problem, though, is you are still sometimes building a deck around a card or around a thing. And then if the card changes, the deck doesn't function the same way. Or it's not as good or whatever. So now you spent the wild cards. Yeah, sure, you gave me the replacement, but the replacement may not work the same way. So now it's not as good to my deck. And I don't get those wild cards back. You know, that that would be my real concern with the whole thing. So, like, I don't know. That just feels, feels tough. Now, they did say, even in the future, if you, let's say, they change, uh, like we said, the, the Hourn's Epiphany. When you go craft an Hourn's Epiphany, you actually get both copies as well. Which is also nice. But I just feel like any, especially if a card goes on the suspended list, because that's the worst of just like you don't get wild cards back if it's suspended, but you still can't play with it. You know, like, so you have to wait for it to show up on a ban list and then give you wild cards back or whatever. Like to me, it feels like even if you want to put it on the suspended list, give everybody who owned a copy of it or whatever wild cards, and then it goes on the ban list. Like you have technology, you should be able to just tell who you already gave wild cards to. So if it moves from suspended to ban, like you don't get additional wild cards. You already got them when we put it on the suspended list. Fine. But anytime you change a card to make it in some way play different or unplayable, we should be getting wild cards. That's literally my one request, my one complaint about this whole process. Just say like, okay, cool. So we can get the good PR. You don't have to worry about consumer complaints. You you reduce a lot of the feel bads or whatever. Great. Just cool. We change this card. Here's the new version if you want to play with it. If not, here's four wild cards you can build. start building a different deck. I think that's more than fair, and it doesn't crush the uh, arena economy or anything. Hell, if anything, it makes people happier and more invested, so they're probably going to spend more time and money on arena, not less. That would be my argument. And a lot of times, if you give people enough cards to get toward the next deck, they might crack a few packs or try to get the extra wild card or two to finish off the new deck because they'll be really close. You know, as opposed to, well, I can't build another deck at all. I need like 15 wild cards and whatever, and I only have like two. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. 
I, I think it's interesting, though. Uh, but we'll find out because, like I said, it goes live about the time the show does. So we'll see what happens. And uh, did you get to play or watch any magic last weekend? I did not. Because there was a lot of magic happening. And, you know, like we talked about, one of the biggest complaints was that we jammed everything on the same weekend. So people just weren't able to engage with a lot of it. So that part's tough. And I honestly didn't even get to pay any attention to the stuff going on on Magic Online or whatever. I mean, just no real excuse other than there were just a lot going on. But this past weekend, we did have the Innistrad Championships, which is one of the big events everybody qualified for and all that lovely stuff. We had a crazy top eight that was stacked with Japanese players. Five of the top eight slots were Japanese players. Hell, two brackets were just Japanese players. <laughs> like, it was crazy. And some of them were actually names people know. Uh, like Riku, uh, Riku Kumagai, actually. Uh, he had a big push during one of last year's, or earlier this year, actually, one of the big events. Uh, Simon Gordson, who's one of the uh, German players, he ended up making it to the finals, uh, ultimately finished second. And Yuki Ichikawa was the winner. So I think that was his first big finish. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look. And then, interestingly, the only American was Zachary Keeney, who has been an up-and-comer for a few years now. I think people have heard his name back during some of the PT or uh, Grand Prix when we were still doing those. I think he played in one or two of the Star City events, and he's had some pretty good finishes, him and his brother both, so it's been pretty cool to kind of see his rise there. But overall, the event actually was pretty good. It was a mixed format. They played some uh, Historic, and then they played Standard, and Historic was the, the top eight. Nothing really crazy or surprising. I think it was just solid play all around, lots of good games. Uh, and I think one of the things these events are still good for showing people is that even when you're playing decks you already know or matchups you already know, the way these people sideboard and the decisions they make turn to turn, like that's the difference between them and us. You know, I think people don't understand that to be a pro at a lot of games, you have to think differently than the average person, almost whatever type of game it is. And you will see, like, in chat, people are like, oh, he should have done this. I don't know why he didn't do this, and blah, 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 right? But then two turns later, they're like, oh, man, that was such a good play. But it's like, well, yeah, but he set that up two turns ago. <laughs> like, when when y'all were complaining about he should have done this thing, it was like, no, he looks like a genius now because you didn't see what he was doing two turns ago. You know, so stuff like that. But anyway, it was cool. You missed me. No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what that is. You know, so I, I think just sometimes people got to slow their roll. It's it's that whole chat lethal thing, right? Like every turn. You got, as a matter of fact, I saw that in Adin's chat last night where people are like, oh, you should do this and this and this. And I'm like, guys, he's a man of short. And then Dean's even asking his chat, like, I should do what again? And they're like, this, this, and this. He's like, I should do what again? This, And then eventually people go like, oh, yeah. You, you don't have enough mana. <laughs> it's like, like, yeah. Uh, fun stuff, though. They're pros, and we're not for reasons. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, just understand, man. Like, there's a reason. They put in a ton of time to be that good. And then one of the other things I do want to talk about is the store championships. Uh, this was the first time they did store championships where the store's name appeared on the top eight and the winner promos, which is pretty cool. 
Now, I don't want know why they weren't on the participation promos, which seems very weird. It's like, if you're going to go that length, just do it for all the promos for the event wizards. It's just, it's weird to just like the top eight and the winner get their name on, you know, the store name on their card. But like you showing up, you get this okay card and it doesn't have anything unique really about it other than it's foil. Like, eh, eh, like, you know, like not really feeling it, really feeling it. Like we could, we could fix that up. But the biggest complaint again from stores even whether they did well or poorly with the event was just that they would rather them not all be on the same weekend. You have so many places, especially when you're talking about big Metro areas, you know, like I can tell you in the greater Seattle area, ton of stores. I mean, one of the things people don't know is the Phoenix, Arizona area has, I think more stores per capita than anywhere else in the country. Well, when you only have one weekend for players to, you can play on Saturday and you can play on Sunday. Well, they're basically having to pick their favorite store and then just go there. Whereas if you had a two week or three week window, maybe some of these people could play it three events, four events, whatever. And everybody gets more attendance and everybody gets more opportunity at promos or whatever. And like, it's kind of cool. And like we talked about last week, you didn't have anything really going on last week or the week before you didn't have anything going on this this weekend or next weekend and then of course there's christmas the following weekend or following week but like why do they have to be on the same weekend well we didn't have anything going on from a magic standpoint sure you know, sure what else is going on fully fully understandable but go ahead i'm sure they have the numbers on how many people play magic and also play hearthstone <laughs> or how many people play magic and also play call of duty etc etc sure but that's not any better than a weekend where you jam all your own things online against your own physical tournaments. <laughs> like that's not any better. I would I would rather compete with a competitor than steal my own people from myself. You know, I know what I mean? they all if all the money ends up in their pocket, do they care? <laughs> I, I would say though, like taking some number of people away from the competitor would be more beneficial, I would think. But neither here nor there. I just don't understand why it all has to be the same weekend. It just seems weird. Give the stores more options. Give the players more options. Honestly, if you have some, well, isn't there something to be said for like you were talking about having having more opportunities to play psychologically? Is it there that pressure? Like this is the only weekend I get to play. I got to rearrange my schedule. Where it's like uh, I'll just go next week. Um, I don't think we see that all that much. At least in my experience, in the past, it's not really how players are wired. It's usually more about just like what their schedule allows. So if somebody had, say, like a family thing this weekend or whatever, or like it's, you know, we talked about off the air. It's like, you know, I had a friend who's they're down in California, right, doing family stuff. So like they just don't get to play in the store championships things because they're tied up dealing with family for the weekend. But if they were, you know, had the option of the previous week or the following week, then, okay, maybe they'll probably play one or two of them. So yeah, or I just, you know, if, when you, if you talk about the stuff that's more pro gear, there's certainly been times where, hey, if I'm about to qualify for something, I uh, make up some excuse to ditch my extended family for that weekend because I'm one one point away from qualifying for something. Well, yeah, that's true too. If you turn that into a thing, yeah, people will will find a way sometimes. But yeah, that, that's really been my only complaint. I mean, but so the majority of stores said they did pretty well with their store championships, so that was good. Uh, means players are actually at least feeling comfortable enough to start at least dipping their toe in the water, visiting a lot of stores. 
Uh, and some of the ones that did well, it's not like they crammed their store. Some of them, you know, they had like 24 people or they had like 30 people. Like those were big turnouts for some of them. And that's good when you're considering going from doing no events or, you know, getting your like 16 person FMs or whatever back off the ground after forever. You know, it, it's at least good to see that people are feeling somewhat safe about getting back to the stores that at least from what I could follow, the stores that were at least mostly following protocols and stuff people felt at least confident to go out there. So that was kind of nice. But yeah, just a lot of magic last weekend. Most of it was pretty positive. Uh, again, the Innistrad Championships had decent viewership. Not great when I was watching, but, you know, again, you had stuff going on on Arena. You had stuff going on because you had the Draft Championship or Draft uh, Open that was happening. So that was a thing where people were tied up with. You had people playing Magic Online and their championship thing, and then you had people trying to go to stores. So, like, you know, it's one of those things when you talk about, well, you know, viewership's only this much on the Innistrad Championships. It's like, well, yeah, but Magic players were busy, man. <laughs> like, like they can only do so many things at once. Even if you're on Arena and playing it in the background, I don't know if that's distracting or not, or you just leave it on silent, with on mute or whatever. <laughs> like, I, I don't really know. So, I and even for me, I only popped in on it a couple of times you know, and watched a couple of rounds each time I was on. So I don't know. But yeah, I will say, though, it the production was good. You know, the commentary was good. Uh, I yeah, I just had overall, at least what we got was positive. So, you know, for the people that are just like, there's no competitive magic and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, there is. There's just not a pro league. Like this is the last year of the pro league is all. But yeah, there's still going to be competitive magic. We still see tournaments happening. Obviously, with, you know, Vegas, Las Vegas Magic MTG or whatever we call that, that thing had attendance and people showed up to play for prizes. The Star City big qualifier did its thing still. So, like, people still are going to play competitive Magic. Like, I feel like at the very least, hell, even with the store championships and stuff, right? That's the casual equivalent of a competitive event, right? Like, I feel like we are still in that phase where people still want to gather and they want to compete and they want to play for stakes, whatever those are. That's not going away. But as we've talked about, there was no coverage of those events because Wizards wasn't doing them. (laughs) Yeah, that's a whole different thing on why there was covered. I don't know. I still don't know why or why not. But I, I think I feel like at this point, anytime I hear somebody say like, well, there's no competitive magic anymore. I'm like, that's, uh, we just, you're an idiot. Stop. <laughs> well, I mean, let's say you wanted to watch competitive magic. There wasn't any. <laughs> it existed, but you had no way to see it, which is a decision made by people that, that sure, aren't wizards. Sure, that's sure, sure. But just to say it's not. At least for the time being, we've lost. Because that's the, how most of us are going to react with it. We're but not the argument the has been that, oh, well, wizards killed competitive magic. Blah, blah. It's like, no, they didn't. They killed literally the pro league not even professional magic because they've already said they're still going to be you know grand prix and championship events or whatever in the future so they still, have said you won't be able to make a living doing it so well they won't give you the money to make a living doing it <laughs> like that's that's the the real caveat there now if you get sponsors or you you travel and you do all the stuff and whatever sure you can probably do that they're not, not giving you the free ride uh, that's what the difference is and, and I'm okay with that. Like I said, we've talked about it on the show before. I get it. Yeah. But competitive magic will still be there. It will still exist. Like, we have seen that enough. 
you know, I, I get it where people are trying to be funny or you're trying to be snarky and recite whatever the meme statement is of the day or whatever. But for most people, isn't when you say, if somebody tells me they're a pro baseball player, I assume that's their job. They get paid for it. Somebody tells me they're a professional, you know, actor. I assume they get paid for it. Now, if somebody tells me they're a pro magic player, they're probably a streamer. Sure, but you're still getting paid for it. That's just the nature of what it is. And I'm okay with that. Same way if you're a, you could, there. hell, I, I know a guy, there's a guy I watch. He's a pro TFT player, but most of his money comes from streaming and sponsors. It doesn't come from TFT tournaments. I mean, he's still a pro TFT player. You know, he's still putting up videos on YouTube that are getting 40 and 50,000 views or whatever. So it's like, all right, that's how you make a living. That's not an incorrect statement. It's just different perception of it is all. But yeah, at the end of it, I, I, I think I'm just tired of people being unoriginal with their statements, you know, and not understanding even what, like, where people go like, oh, well, you know, Wizards is a small indie company, blah, blah, blah. Like, dude, come on. That's tired. Like, you can do better than that. Like, you're just throwing it out there. Anytime you don't like something, you're just going to throw out the meme statement. Like, you're, we're, as a group, I would like to think we're smarter, more intelligent, and creative than that. So, like, come on. Like, get, get your act together. Like, every time somebody says, like, well, Wizard kills off competitive magic, so, you know, there's no reason to buy cards anymore. I'm like, yeah, come on. Like, we're better. Like, hell, this weekend showed. There was plenty of magic being played for competitive stakes at multiple levels, and people showed up. Whether that was to a store, or on Magic Online, or on Arena, or qualified over the last couple of months to play the championship, like, all levels, people played. Hell, and there were still events that happened on MTG Melee and whatever throughout the week that people played for even smaller stakes. So people still want to compete. There will still be events, one way or the other. But, yeah, just felt it was worth bringing up because, it, you know, there was a lot happening last weekend. And we have big news. Alan's Ever After is over 1K subscribers. With uh, a lot of help from the Color Magic community, so it's very <laughs> much appreciated. Hey, they, they came through. Like, I wasn't sure. I just put it out there. And yeah, people get, and not only that, I saw some people even share it on Twitter and stuff like, Hey, uh, yeah, go help your boy out. You know? So I'm like, that's cool. And only that y'all went pretty well over one K actually. So good on y'all, man. Like it's, it's good. Start that trek and, and start getting paid. You know, that's the biggest thing. So yeah. Cause okay. So for people, and I think we touched on this last time for people don't know, uh, you have to have a thousand subscribers and 4,000 hours watched. Uh, well, a thousand subscribers whenever, 4,000 hours watched over the last 12 months uh, to be able to get monetized. You know, and that's when you start being able to get money for ads. You can get uh, super chats, which is like bits or whatever, if, if you're familiar with Twitch, on their live streams. Uh, eventually, they'll put a thing on there where you can have members on your thing, which is kind of like uh, a Patreon, if you will, but built into YouTube. So like multiple ways you can monetize your stuff, but you don't get access to that until you meet those two thresholds. So getting to a thousand subscribers is a big deal for channels, right? Like that's like the big step one. And then after that, it's just, okay, can I get 400 hours watched within a 12, 4, 12 months, 4,000 hours? Yeah. Within a 12 month cycle. 
And honestly, for me, I think I got my first 4,000 hours before I had 1,000 subscribers. I think I hit my 4,000 hours watched, but I was still only at like 875 or something like that, like right around 900. And I was like, well, this sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I did the hard part and I missed the easy part. Yeah. So that was kind of wild. Yeah, it's just weird how it works, you know, and there were people who I guess watched the videos and they were they were watching them regularly, but they were like, nah, but I want to subscribe to this guy. So like, I had to, like and apparently that's very common. You'll look at YouTube shows you who out of your viewers who is subscribed. It is not uncommon for people that even have thousands of subscribers to where it's still 90 percent of the people that watch are not subscribed. Oh, yeah, I have a big number. Mine's like, I think, like 60 or 70 percent unsubscribed that are watching, which is like, come on, y'all. Like, what do I got to (laughs) do? Like, like, come on. So, yeah, it's a big deal, you know, and it opens up so many opportunities, you know, and and especially if you ever start looking for sponsors or whatever, like, that's almost like everybody understands that that's the dedication point, right? Like, you are in it if you get over those thresholds. If you don't, a lot of times people just aren't getting anything back for their efforts, so they just quit making YouTube videos. So that's kind of like the big first step. Now, I don't know how close y'all are to the 4,000 hours, because that's the next thing, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's a ways off. So that's okay. the next step. Hey, at least you've locked down the 1,000 subscribers already. Yep. See, everybody needs to go watch. What do y'all have, like five videos that feature Meemaw or whatever? <laughs> Uh, don't give me a lot about uh, about the count, but yeah, five is probably y'all. At least go watch those five. That'd get y'all at least like an hour worth of footage, a little over an hour per person. So like, go watch those. Just go look those. She she's in the thumbnails. <laughs> go, those those alone are worth watching. But yeah, I think it's cool. You know that uh, I, like for a couple of reasons. One that it's going to help y'all eventually get paid, and I think it's a cool thing for the kids and stuff too. You know, yeah. just to kind of see that grow and see the efforts, which I think is pretty awesome. But also from our community, you know, to see people that really cared to help you out that, like I said, we're sharing stuff on social media or whatever Definitely. to just help you get through. It's like it's it's cool to see that even if it's not just the community at large, you know, our personal community still supports what we're doing. You know, and, and that still means something. So thank all of you that did that. It's really awesome. I'm sure Brian's family and wife are very appreciative. (laughs) Absolutely. I just realized this show's going a little long, but we have good information, so we're going to continue. So there's a game, if you're in, I don't know, I was about to say an old head, but that mostly applies to music, I guess. But if you're a gaming OG, if you will, you'll remember an old card game that came out just after Magic release called Spellfire. It was run by TSR and had a bunch of artwork from D&D sources. And I believe from 90, man, I'm going to probably get quoted wrong. It was, well, it was right after Magic Release. So it was like 94 until 97. And I want to say they had like seven sets come out in that window of time. And the later sets were all named after like D&D World. So I think there was like Dragonlance and Birthright and a couple other ones. Well, the game, honestly... It wasn't that great. I'll be honest. I checked it out. <laughs> I checked out a lot of card games in the beginning just to kind of know what the the lay of the land was or whatever. Oh, and believe me, there's there's some stinkers out there. I mean, there's some stuff y'all probably ain't never heard of. Like Doom Trooper was one that I played. Like that one was, wasn't was great. Uh, there, there's a lot. But anyway, 
Spellfire was was average at best. It wasn't great, wasn't bad. You know, I think it mostly had a little bit of a following because it was D&D. Yeah, and we didn't have a lot of games back in the day, y'all. Like, let me remind y'all that if y'all came up into gaming over the last 10, 12 years, <laughs> there's a lot of choices that didn't exist back then. I mean, I, and I don't know if I brought this up on the show before, but like the fact that we have people that have grown to adulthood that have lived in a world where there's always been Warhammer and Magic and D&D and Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon and Nintendo and whatever, like none of that existed like 25 years ago. Like, you know what I mean? Like that that's crazy to even think about that. So people live in a world where this is all normal to them. Like that's just a product on the shelf. That's just a banner ad they see all the time when they're on on websites. Like they don't know a time where that didn't exist. We got the, rappers and other celebrities playing Magic and Warhammer. And dude, things. you, you got incredible. what's his name? Logan Superman Paul plays Warhammer. Up, Logan Paul showed up to to boxing matches with grade ten Charizards on his necklace or whatever. Right? <laughs> like it's a whole different ball game now. But Spellfire, like I said, was it was a game that existed way back then. It ended up dying off in '97 after Wizards bought uh, TSR, or mostly for D and D. But TSR was a parent company, and I guess the intent was it was eventually going to keep having stuff made. But honestly, the sales weren't that high, and the team eventually was disbanded, and nothing ever came of it. So you know, fast forward to now, and for whatever reason, a new company. And as far as I could tell, the company name is Spellfire. I could, I I looked, I couldn't find anything else on it. So, you know, feel free to correct me on on Twitter if I'm wrong, but they have decided they wanted to re-release the game. Now I have no idea how this is going to work because I don't know what artwork is still licensed to wizard of the coast or owned by TSR slash D and D so I'm sure that's some hurdle they will have to cross or whatever. Because there's a lot of things where some of the art could have been licensed out or given to people or whatever or done for certain purposes. I don't know. But they're promoting bringing an NFT element to it, which is really what this part of the discussion is about. Because well, you and I both, we talked about this off the air, that we've seen quite a few things lately that promote themselves as being NFT games but the NFTs really have nothing to do with the game. They're just selling you an NFT, in some cases, to fund a game that, one, is either crappy, or two, never even gets produced. So you're just buying artwork, effectively. Which, in and of itself, I get it. However you feel about NFTs, you feel about it. Like, we can probably have a whole show for that on a different discussion. But selling the artwork, fine, if that's what you want to do. But don't disguise it as like, okay, well, we're going to have this game... And then if you buy the artwork like that, it'll eventually be something in the game. Or It's like, no, just sell us the artwork. That's fine. The problem here with Spellfire for me is that even if you go through their site, there's a bunch of stuff about like, here's what we want to do. And here's the thing for NFTs. And you'll be able to earn money if you buy the NFTs and blah, blah, blah. But there's one post about the gameplay. And the written portion of it is two paragraphs. And then it has an attached video that's like, I don't know, a short video, maybe 10 or 12 minutes. But it's not even the best instructional video with details or anything. It's just kind of like, here's a turn and here's what you do in a turn, effectively. And that's it. 
like nowhere does it say why the NFTs are beneficial to the game other than, hey, if you own one of these NFTs, we have ways that you'll be able to make money even if you don't sell them. Okay, cool. So you're selling NFTs. You're not selling a game. Like, just be transparent about it. It's all I'm saying. And there are examples of this. And when I started thinking about NFTs and games, I had to go back because I remember years ago, I played a game and, it, and I had to look it up because I forgot what it was called. But it was actually called Derby Owners Club. I think it was what the name was. And they were these large multi-person setups at an arcade. The first time I played one was when I was in Vegas, uh, early 2000s. And it was cool because you came up, you picked a horse, you trained it, you did all the stuff, you would take it into races, you know, you got your results, you got your money, it affected your horse's stats, all that stuff. And then when you were done, it printed out a card, right? So you had this card, and then if I took it to a place in, say, like Dallas that had an arcade machine, I could sit down, put it in, and then I have my horse, I could do all my stuff, whatever. So effectively, that's like an early NFT, right? I get a digital object that is unique. No other horse in the game is going to be like that. I've named it. it. It has its results from the races. It has its training, all that stuff, all that information's on there. Hell, I could sell the card if I wanted to. I'm like, hey, my horse has won 10 races. It's got this, like, whatever. I could sell it to somebody else that's an enthusiast of the game or whatever. So we didn't call them NFTs, but it was like an early NFT, effectively. Only it had a physical component and it wasn't all digital. Well, there's also another game that happens to be about horses that I found out about this one, I want to say maybe about two months ago, but it's called Zed Run. And in Zed Run, this is all digital based, so no card component or anything, all based around NFTs. So, you, you know, you purchase them through the blockchain and everything's tracked and all that. But same thing, you can, there's multiple different breeds. Each breed has a specific thing where you're breeding either for strength or short distance races or long distance races or endurance or whatever. And supposedly every, I don't know, it sounds like every year they're going to try to introduce a new breed that has different characteristics or whatever. But there's benefits, right? If your horses win or they're champion horses or they have high stats or whatever, they're good breeding stock. So then you you breed your horses and now you can sell your offspring because, you know, you've made this powerful thoroughbred or whatever. But the NFTs have a purpose, right? They're all tracked. You can have the lineage of who the parents were and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, at least that makes sense, right? You have NFTs serving a purpose, like the the unique tags and information is necessary for the game to function and do all the things that it does. And things like the Spellfire, and I'm not just picking on the Spellfire, folks. This is just the latest example of probably 10 or 12 different things I've seen. This has nothing to do with the product. This is just funding the game effectively, which is fine. You got to raise money, you know, rather that way than have to go hunt down like angel investors or whatever. Like, I get it. But... To just be like, oh, we have an NFT-based card game. Where we're like, no, you don't. You have a mediocre to bad card game that is funded by NFTs. <laughs> right? These these are not the same. Like, that's my only complaint about them. Now, I don't know about you, Brian, but have you seen other... Well, I mean, I know I've seen several, but have you run into any of these games where, like, they're selling you NFTs as a game component, but really not doing anything for the game? Uh, there's a Doctor Who game that at some point is coming, and apparently they're already selling cards, but I don't think you could actually play the game yet. Yeah, if you, if you actually 
sell me a halfway decent Doctor Who card game. You can t- you can take my money, but as of yet, I don't know if the game is any good. So what are they selling you? Like like still images or something from the yeah. from the show? I guess basically they're apparently functional cards. It's just you can you look at them right now, but it'll be cool when I get to play with these someday. That's so strange. But I mean, they have text on them and say, "Hey, this Cyberman does this when you put it into play." But I don't believe it's anywhere you could actually play the game yet. Now I know you mentioned like I guess the Top Shot community came up with the game. Yeah, they're yeah. basically kind of like just fantasy basketball. You can only play LeBron James if you actually have a LeBron James Top Shot in your collection. Okay. So that's cool. And it, it basically, again, works like, uh, I guess, kind of like a fan. And that's something that the, that the players came up with. I'm sure at some point, Top Shot will <laughs> will probably take it and do something with that because it's been kind of popular. But, but see, even the players then, came up with. that kind of works, right? That their NFTs have a purpose, right? You can only field these teams if you have these cards. And, which is funny because that's almost like, the game came after the fact when the goal was just to sell you the NFTs. Yep. <laughs> so they, the community kind of created a game out of a thing that wasn't even supposed to have a game. Fantasy basketball players go figure out how to play fantasy basketball. <laughs> Always. Yeah. So that's kind of funny. That that's a whole, whole different thing. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't want this to be about like batch bashing NFTs, you know, because I get it. People say environmental impact, blah, blah, whatever. Everybody's going to feel how they feel about it. I'm okay with saying, hey, we're just selling you NFT artwork. And even if they're transparent and saying, look, we want to make a game. We're going to use this to fund our game. Don't tell me you already have a game done. You already have whatever. Like, you can just be transparent about it and say, like, hey, we need to raise X amount of dollars. Here's where we are in the thing. Whatever. But don't tell me you have an NFT-based card game or NFT-based game, period. And the NFTs literally have nothing to do with the game. Because like I said, we have this these horse examples where literally they only function because you have some NFT or NFT equivalent. So that makes sense to me. Like saying, we found a way that this matters. Even if you said, hey, we're going to sell you this NFT and it's going to give you a unique skin within the game for whatever it is, you know, fine right so at least you're getting something unique that affects the gameplay in some way you know like when the game's actually functional you're selling me a a actual game piece other than just like oh it's just a card other people have i just have it sooner or i make a little bit extra money whenever one's opened or whatever like all right cool i guess but the other side of this is if you do like spellfire or you were a fan congratulations spellfire is coming back 25 years later. <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's good or bad news or what you do with that, but if you're a fan, there you go. I don't even know. It does I don't even know if it's going to be the same. Some of the artwork looks different, so I don't know if it's I have no idea. Uh there's a lot of unknown things. Their website's not the best, but uh feel free to check it out. Look it up. Just look up Spellfire card game. I think that's what I searched in Google uh if you're curious. But uh, as we're already running a bit over, this is it's all right, though. We've been almost right around an hour for our last like month's worth of episodes, uh, which, by the way, if you are a patron member, know that uh, you have a private episode that's coming this week as well. So you get to check that out. We're kind of all over. on the. We have some personal discussion in that one, too, 
we talk a lot about like family and upbringing and stuff in that one. I just realized that. Yeah. There's, there's going to be some, some good personal tidbits in that one for, for people. But uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about a pretty interesting dinner table conversation. And this is one I've kind of had on the docket for us to talk about at some point anyway. But this week I had a couple of people ask me about it, which was, was kind of interesting. So I figured it's on people's minds, maybe because there's a lot of new games coming out. It's the holidays coming up. They're going to have time to play games. People are trying out new stuff. But depending on, on who asked it, basically to paraphrase all the questions kind of, I guess, as I can group them together, is when you're playing a game and there's a skin for a character or an avatar that you don't represent in real life, is it wrong to play that type of character in the game? Example, I'm a dude. I'm playing a woman, right? I'm I'm a white guy. I'm playing a black guy in the game, right? Or whatever it happens to be, right? Like, is that a problem? And I'll let you be in the heavy video gamer. I'll, I'll let you kind of start this conversation. I mean, I feel like, no, as long as you're not doing something, you know, bizarre, like we talked about on the pre-show where, uh, you know, you, you pick a black character because you want to go around and rob all the banks. So unless you're not doing something stupid like that, I have no problem. Because a lot of video game is, you know, it's a power fantasy. I play NBA 2K because in real life, I have no actual athletic skill. So <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, and I'm kind of with you on that. You know, that, that's kind of my stance, right? If you are, let's say deciding you want to play a female character in the game, but you're playing it just because you can go hit on every guy in the town. It's like, dude, really? Like, yeah, that's you probably probably shouldn't be playing a female character then. That that doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, say and I'm with you, right? Like say you you want to play a black character and you want to go rob every house in the village. Like, really? You want to be that dude? Like, just so you can play some stereotypes or something? Like, all right. Then I think it's a problem. But if you look at something and you're like, man, the the outfit and stuff for, like, the black, I don't know, urban characters, pretty, maybe, you know, he's got, like, the, the rapper hoodie, sunglasses, whatever type of look. And you're like, ah, that's pretty cool. And I'm into that. That's kind of how I dress. I sort of want to play that character. And you just do? All right. I don't think it's a problem. Like I, and honestly, and I kind of told you this, I thought about it after the fact, like if anything, you're kind of in some ways normalizing the representation in the game. You know, you're putting more BIPOC characters out there, more women characters out there, right? So people see them just normally when they're walking around. So like, that's probably a benefit, I would think. I haven't really thought about it that heavily till, you know, we had the conversation earlier, but like, that seems like a reasonable thing to call a benefit. Because if you think about most games, like let's say Overwatch, I'm going to play probably, you know, I, I play Tracer occasionally. I'm not a woman. <laughs> I'm not gay. I, I'm not British, but I enjoy playing that character. I, I enjoy not only playing the character, but I enjoy, you know, the character. I enjoy her backstory, you know, and the funny little voice line she does and the fact that, hey, she can and turn back time and do awesome stuff. More stuff that I play because I can't do that in real life, obviously. And, you know, you brought up another thing, too, that I think 
that probably reduces the number of guys that walk up and go like, are you really a woman? And, you know, playing a female yeah. character, right? Like, if more dudes are doing that, it at least probably halts more guys from going and getting into those conversations eventually. So that's got to be a good thing, too. By the way, guys, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's just creepy. Honestly. There's we're playing a video game here. There's no reason you need to know that. If yeah. they want to volunteer that information, that's totally up to them. But just don't be creepy. Please. Yeah, it just doesn't affect the game. Now, if you hear the person's voice or something or whatever, and you've played with them two or three times and you want to have that conversation, yeah. like fine, whatever. But just like coming up to somebody out of the blue because they're playing a female avatar, it's weird. It's creepy. It's almost like saying you're such a horn dog. You're just like, oh man, I hope there's a woman on the other side of this character or whatever. Like, why? Yeah, it's frightening. It's just like, and then it's weird too, because think about this. Think about this, right? Like, if you are a woman on the other side of that avatar and this dude knows nothing about you at all, but he's super excited to talk to you and whatever. Like he's probably just doing this to every female avatar he sees in the game. You got to be thinking he's a real winner. You just got what a catch. Exactly. <laughs> like you're doing nothing to sell yourself at all from the get go. Right. You're already, you're already harming your odds. Like picking up women on Overwatch. What are trying to, what a prize he must be picking up women that you have barely interacted with. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, that's the worst part of it. So it's like, dude, just let people game. Just let people game. Now, I will say, we I've seen some stuff in uh, Dead by Daylight where they have the character. I, I can't remember what it's called. It's, it might even just be called, like, something weird, like Leatherface or whatever. But it basically has, like, a black yeah, face. Yeah, they have the, the, the cannibal or yeah. whatever. And there's people who will play that and then go target the POC characters in the game. God. And that's pretty effed up because anyway, now you're every, trying every day. People yeah. find new ways to ruin gaming. And that's like, okay, so now you're punishing people for being darker skinned in the game and playing the character. And just like, yeah, it's like, that's a whole messed up thing, but just playing a character that's, you know, not your normal real life makeup. I don't think is necessarily bad. I think it's only bad if you perpetuate negative characteristics or stereotypes. I think that's where the problem lies. Yeah. Cause I can't, I'm trying to think and you know, while we're talking, I'm kind of running through my brain, like what characters have I seen or whatever that would bother me if somebody did, but I can't even think of one. Uh, well in Conan exiles, one of the things they let you decide is your, your genital size. So if somebody takes uh, you know, damn, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You see where I'm going with this? Yeah. I could see that being a thing. Also, we talked about this on one of the previous podcasts. There is a soccer game that has voiceovers so the people will give their characters names to make the announcers say terrible racist things. Yeah. And I, and I feel like, what was it? Was it Rust? Maybe it's like the survival game where you start out naked or whatever, and you can yeah. select some stuff for your avatar. And there's been some people who've done some questionable things with that, too. So, like, in those cases, yes, that's problematic because, again, you're just being an ass. Like, come on. And, or, or, you know, if you, like you're saying, in those games where you get to 
not just select the avatar, but you go out of your way to accentuate characteristics that you know are stereotypical and you're trying to make a thing out of it, that's pretty effed up too. And I report those every time I run into them. I, I bet you do too. Oh yeah. So I'm like, so so don't do that, right? Like if you're going to be like, I'm going to make this, I don't know, black ball player or whatever, and I'm going to give them the biggest lips possible or, you know, on a smaller facial structure or whatever, whatever it is, right? Like, okay, now you're just being an ass, right? So don't do that, right? Like, I think that's, that should be pretty obvious. Don't do that. But if you are genuinely just like, hey, I want to represent this group or, hey, I want to give support to this group or I just like the look of this outfit or whatever, great. I think it's totally okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Just be another positive representation of that in the game. I think that's got to be good. I mean, I'm willing to hear opposing viewpoints, but I'd be interested what those arguments are because I can't think of a good one other than like, just because don't do it. But I, I mean, I'm a big, but see, I'm, I know my perspective is a little different anyway, because you know, we've talked about it before. I grew up with friends of all different backgrounds. So there's a lot of things that I'm just like, I know we adopted from each other growing up. Yeah. Cause like if if you catch me making and eating lumpias, like, well, you're just gonna have to have a problem with it. Cause like lumpias are the bomb, yo. Like <laughs> but like some people might be like, ah, why why are you throwing a party and cooking lumpias and doing whatever? I'm like, because I grew up with friends who are Filipinos and lumpias are badass, and I'm just gonna have some lumpias at my party. Like, it's just a thing. So, like, I don't know. I don't really have as much of a problem with it. Like I said, I mean, it's you know, cause especially right now, like we know, especially as people have gotten into the whole Miles Morales Spider-Man thing and, you know, just that's taken off like the the kind of urban hoodie look is sort of a thing now. And like people want to represent that in different ways in their hobbies and in their games. So, like, I don't really have a problem with that being out there. It's just kind of part of the look, part of the times. I'm good with it. But you just have to not be doing the bad things. Because it's easy to do when you're talking about something like, you know, Grand Theft Auto or whatever. Yeah. It'd be pretty easy to be a stereotype in that game. It kind of opens itself up to allowing that to happen. Every character in Grand Theft Auto pretty much is some kind of stereotype. Just because every character in the game is even the hero, especially the hero, is a terrible person. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So that's kind of like a fine line. Like, I don't know if I would do it in GTA. GTA is one of those games where I think it's pretty much impossible to do a pacifist playthrough because all the missions involve, or almost all of them involve, killing somebody at some point. Oh, not just that. They have, I think I, we talked about this, I don't know, probably like 20, 30 episodes ago, but they have the role play servers. Yeah. You know, for Grand Theft Auto. And yeah, most of that is going to be stereotypical because of what the game is. I would recommend not playing something outside of your norm so you don't trip up i'm just saying probably a good idea to not do in that space because everything is about violence and drugs and running from the cops and blah blah you know that's that's what the game is so yeah probably not a good idea but in most spaces i think you're going to be safe just don't be a jerk be on your best behavior like i don't i don't really think there's there's much else to worry about there 
But anyway, Brian, we are now at like an hour and a half. Why don't <laughs> yeah. you tell everybody where they can find you when you're not right. doing this wonderful podcast? I am DL Caesar on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and our family channel on YouTube. It's just hit a thousand. Thanks to you guys. It's Alan's Ever After. And you can find me on just about all social media at Power Dragon, P O W R D R A G N. Lots of content coming up around uh, alchemy for Arena. So you'll be seeing that. And I'm a few other fun tidbits that hopefully going into the next year, I'll get to announce because we're working on a few things. But as always, wherever you are listening, whenever you're listening, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Please take care of yourself because we're not through this pandemic yet. So, you know, do what you got to do to stay safe for you and your family. And remember to be awesome and be awesome to each other. If you'd like to further support Color of Magic, you can find us at our website at colorofmtg.com. We also have a Patreon if you'd like to donate other patreon.com slash color of magic. You can also find us on Facebook under color of magic. And if you want to follow us along at Twitter, you can find us there at color of MTG. And as always, please share the podcast around to your friends, your network, people you think might enjoy it because every little bit helps as we're trying to increase our user base.